Do you feel sorry for Theresa May? Sometimes I do. I mean, she's being held. Why yeah. do you feel sorry for Sometimes her? Sometimes I do. Why do you feel sorry for her? Well, I just look at her and just think she looks dreadful. Um, what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? And the, the stuff about me paddling all the nonsense the sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be, and it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country <laughs> as First <laughs> Minister <laughs> and its Labour values. You can have the desk, you're just not getting the job. <laughs> If you've been to Peppa Pig World, who's been to Pads? I've anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, besties, what the actual fuck? Hi, besties. It's been it's been a minute, but we're we're back. I've actually I've got. I've got a, a couple of bits I actually recorded for the the last episode that I'm going to edit in with this one because, like, they're still fun and you'll enjoy them because it's me dragging someone that we all hate. So it's a little treat for you to look forward to. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're back and we've got a brand new episode. We've got a lot to talk about and we're going to have some fun to try and help us get through... Uh, all of this, you know, um, but I'm Jennifer Wan, and this is what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business, so grab a drink and a snack, and get comfy and cosy, and let's go. Okay, so something that's uh, been reported on by the Daily Mirror is that apparently a group of Conservative MPs who are being led by Lee Anderson, wow, uh, <laughs> are going to approach Rishi Sunak and demand that he block overseas staff from working in care homes. Um, Okay, um, so they apparently want to block social care workers getting visas. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really understand that at all. Uh, <laughs> so let let's go through a couple of things because there's a couple of points that people have been making about this that I find a little bit. Mm. Um, but also there's a couple of points that I want to make myself. So first and foremost, um, just on a, on an admin, um, resources kind of level, um, the work has been put in to add social care vacancies to the skilled worker list. It's not as simple as just taking them off a list and saying, no, you can't come in with that job or whatever. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of resources to reverse a decision that was made not that long ago. Um, 
And I don't think that that is a justifiable use of resources in a government that has already taken the fucking piss. Um, so I think that's going to be a hard sell to the public. Um, on top of that, there is the fact that the social care sector is incredibly understaffed. So again, I think anything that will potentially remove staff from a sector that desperately needs them is going to be a hard sell to the public. Um, and I, I don't think Rishi Sunak is going to want to do this, to be honest. Um, I think he... You know, from his perspective, if he can say, well, we're getting you carers, they're coming, they're coming, calm down. That is one less thing for him to worry about. He's got obviously a lot of different pressures because of how his party has fucked up everything over the last sort of decade and a bit. So if he can have one area where he, where he can say, this is sorted, leave me alone, I think he'll be quite happy with that. So I don't think he's going to want to row that back just because Lee Anderson says he should. I, <laughs> I mean, he's probably regretting um, allowing Lee Anderson uh, into the role of deputy chair of the party because it appears to have given Lee Anderson delusions of grandeur, but um, I, I don't think he's going to want to do this. Um, the, the second thing I just wanted to, to briefly talk about, because a lot of what I've seen when it comes to talking about this um, is a lot of people are saying, oh, well, good luck getting British people to do it. The conditions are shit. The wages are shit. And I'm like... Okay, but, like, why are you okay with that? Why why are you okay with that if, you know, if it's if it's migrants doing the work? What, why are we not talking about actual reform to this sector so that it is no longer the case that conditions are shit and wages are shit? Like, th this, is, this is one of those things that I feel we should have learned from COVID and it just, it, just, it just didn't go in. In fact, one of the things I remember from, <laughs> from sort of after the initial um, restrictions started to be lifted and things like that, what was happening in the care sector was there was a lot of burnout from existing staff. They were exhausted because the the conditions they had before were poor anyway. You know, they, they were overworked a lot of the time, underpaid, um, because a lot of places were short-staffed. You'd have people having to go in and do extra shifts all the time, so they barely had any time for themselves. It was not a good environment. And then COVID hits and it gets even worse. And so a lot of the staff were very burned out. Um, and what a lot of care companies started doing was, was, was playing on the, um, on the goodwill that carers had, because, you know, as you may remember, you know, people talked very positively about carers at the time, um, you know, and that they were, um, hailed as, as heroes on TV and, and told they were amazing and wonderful, um, 
and people clapped for them and stuff. And so a lot of care companies and care homes and all of that would use that in their advertising. One of the things I saw that became very popular around that time was care assistant jobs. So many of them had COVID hero either in the job title or somewhere in the job description covid hero so they were trying uh, i guess to, to draw people in and say oh come on you can be a covid hero it'll be fun it'll be a great time it'll be an adventure um which actually i thought was pretty fucked up really because it's basically playing on people's emotions to get them to apply for a job where you're not going to pay them properly and they're going to be vastly overworked um and and then there was a big spur of recruitment again a couple of months later because a lot of the people they'd recruited um found out that actually the job is you know it won't make you feel like a hero and even if it does feeling like a hero is not going to pay your bills or make you any less knackered when you've had to do you know several back-to-back shifts in a week so my big question would be and this again like I said this is something we ought to have learned from COVID is why is there such little value placed on the work that carers do? I can tell you right now, I could not do that work. I could not. I could not. I would never apply for a role as a healthcare assistant, a support worker, a carer. And it's not because I think I'm above the work or anything like that. It's because I know full well I could not handle it. I could not handle it. I would not last a week like it would it would be too much for me um i i could not do that work because it's you know a lot of manual labor there is a lot in terms of hours as well like i said because the sector is so understaffed you end up doing way more hours than you're actually contracted for um the pay is ridiculously and insultingly low and it's it's exhausting physically and in a lot of cases emotionally um because you are you are tasked with caring for people at a very vulnerable stage of their lives and that is not an easy thing to do and you know i i know myself and i know i couldn't handle it and if people are being real with themselves a lot of other people probably couldn't either. This is why the sector has such a high turnover, because you combine a very difficult job with low wages and very little personal time because the job is so understaffed that the same person is having to come in and work again and again, effectively doing the jobs of several people as one person. Now, if, for example, wages were higher that is going to make the job a little bit more attractive. You're probably going to get more people, maybe more people that even stick around. That means people having to work less hours every week. That that cuts down the risk of burnout, effectively solves your retention problem. It is literally the same as the NHS. And it is insane to me that the UK government pretends they don't see this. Um, and now, the way that people are all addressing this uh, this threat from Lee Anderson to shout about 
carers and where they're supposed to come from country-wise in his mind. Um, The way people are talking about it, they're acting like they don't recognise what the actual problem is either. Um, And I'm sorry, but it does seem like for some people, in their mind, it's okay if workers' conditions are shit because migrants will do it. And it's like, okay, but like... (laughs) No, not okay, actually. We should be fighting for better working conditions for them too. Just because a a sector is primarily overseas workers, that doesn't mean it's okay to leave them with shit working conditions. It doesn't. Just because you can look away and you've got the convenience of, oh, well, us British people, we don't have to do that job because someone else will come along and do it. Ask yourself what the fuck is going on. It's the same situation with agriculture. Um, There were a lot of people and they got proper smug about, oh, well, Brexit's happened, so there's less people that can come to pick fruit. (laughs) But none of the English want to do it. (laughs) And, And rather than actually looking at the real reasons, and the real reasons being that those workers are heavily exploited heavily exploited there is frankly abusive working conditions in the agriculture sector rather than actually addressing that and demanding better people just took it as a a fucking chance to be like (laughs) stupid stuck up english (laughs) stupid stuck up brits and i'm like there is actual fucking exploitation going on and you don't give a shit you you just want to get uppity at somebody because you don't care that, you know, overseas workers are having these horrible conditions. You, you, you just seemingly don't care about that and it's really weird and gross. Um, but, you know, I just, I wish when we had conversations about stuff like this, about, um, you know, migrant workers, I, I wish that rather than... <laughs> rather than leading the conversation by saying, oh, but, you know, we need them because we don't want to do that. Because it's, you know, it's a horrible job and the the wages are shit. Why can't we actually have a conversation about why we're allowing so many employers to exploit people and what we can do to make the workplaces better for everybody? You know, it may be the case that even if we reform, the majority of the workforce is still migrant workers. That's okay. That's not a problem. But why why can't we improve conditions for them too? You know what I mean? I feel like if, you know, if some of the more, you know, middle-class jobs were, you know, we're suddenly very exploitative and fucking horrible. Um, we, we'd actually hear a lot more about wanting reform in these sectors and they wouldn't allow for this to happen. But alas, alas. Um, third point. <laughs> um, this to me... This to me suggests that Lee Anderson 
is not somebody who actually understands what people want. This is a very out of touch man. Um, right now, there are people who just don't have access to the basics in life. No hope of getting a house, you know, getting on the housing market. Not even hope of being able to just pay their rent on wherever they're living right now. Working full time but still struggling. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think that those people want for for anybody who needs support to have that support taken from them because the member of staff providing it doesn't have a British passport. I don't think that that's what's on people's minds right now. I think what they're thinking about is, am I going to be able to keep my kids fed over the summer holidays which are coming up? What am I going to do if I can't? Am I going to be able to keep a roof over our heads? You know, am I going to be able to afford new uniforms for when they go back to school? Am I... Am I actually going to make it out of this? Is there a time when it's going to get better? And why... Why doesn't the government give a shit about me? Why are they always trying to distract me with random bullshit why do they think that i care about fucking who has a penis and who doesn't or wokeness or the life and times of boris johnson why do they think I care about this? And why don't they care about what's going on for me? Lee Anderson still believes that he can win the next election by basically just throwing a bunch of distractions at people like firecrackers. And I don't think he's figured out yet that that's not going to happen. Because people have real problems that they are worried about. People have real issues in their lives day to day that are absolutely destroying any sense of peace that they have ever had. People are stressed the fuck out. Lee Anderson. And they don't care for your games. They don't. They're not interested. They don't want to play. And listen, I, I don't I don't want to help the Tories, obviously. Um, but to me, it just seems like they are just incredibly out of touch. They think that they can just win people over by distracting them, throwing more and more cultural bullshit at them, screaming at them, distracting them, all of this. It's it's not happening. It's not gonna work. Because that distraction is is only going to take them so far. And I don't think it's really going to take them that far to begin with because people's quality of life has plummeted over the last decade. Um, and it has gone down incredibly fast, I would say, in the last 12 months. Um, people are really 
struggling. Even people who, you know, for most of the last decade and a bit have, have been all right, now they're really struggling. So we're in a situation where actually pretty much everyone is going through it apart from like the hyper rich people. So the old tricks, they're not going to work. The old games, they're not going to work. And I don't think that anybody in the Conservative Party, but especially somebody who, frankly, is just as... <laughs> as ridiculous as Lee Anderson. I don't think they're ready to hear it, but by the time they are ready, I think it's going to be too late. Um... Lee Anderson strikes me as somebody who very much, he's on the gravy train, he's there for what he can get, so he just wants to keep himself in power so that he can have access to all the nice things that he likes. He likes having big salaries and a TV show so he can feel important and, you know, he likes getting into Twitter fights with people because it makes him feel good about himself or whatever, which is sad, but what are you going to do? Um... And I think that's what he's holding on to and that's what he's hoping for. And I don't I don't I don't think it's gonna pan out for him. Which is good because he's a fucking idiot. But um like I said, not to help them at all, but if I were the Conservative Party and I wanted to win the next election, I would tell Lee Anderson to shut the fuck up. Uh but thankfully I'm not the conservative party so when I tell him to shut up he won't listen which is great because I think honestly him blurting out this nonsense is probably going to lose in the next election and that's great news okay besties so a new column from Boris Johnson just dropped let's have a look it's going to be a mess so Boris Johnson has now, I guess, rebranded. He's a columnist in the mail um, because, uh, you know, I guess being a member of parliament was too hard. So he just rage quit that job and took on this one. Um, and so his last column last week, he was talking about a weight loss drug that he tried but apparently he couldn't stop eating cheese or something and this week he's decided to talk about um the submersible submersible i'm just gonna for ease of everything i'm just gonna call it a fucking submarine even though i'm aware it's not one he also calls it a submarine so whatever Sub submersible i think that's what it's called i think i look i I don't know about under the sea things because I do not go under the sea. Um, so <laughs> I'm not aware. Um, but as I'm sure everyone will be aware because it was everywhere this week, um, there was um, an incident where a a vehicle, let's go with that, that's easy, uh, went down to try and look at the wreck of the Titanic, the famous ship, um and unfortunately uh it 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 imploded and and the people inside were were killed um 
when I saw that Boris Johnson was going to be writing about this and the tone that he seemed to be wanting to take with it, I was a little bit taken aback, let's say. I found out about this because Nadine Doris posted a <laughs> a video of Boris and he was he was all dressed up and he was like, oh, you're going to want to check out my column tomorrow. It's in the fucking mail. And, and he started talking about how... Um, how the people in the the submarine they were risk takers and and all of this and I'm like, it at that point it had been less than twenty four hours since it was announced that these people had sadly lost their lives. Do you really need to do this, Boris? Are you that hard up for content that you need to latch on to what's happened to these people? Like, Jesus Christ. Um, Nadine, she posted the trailer. She's like, oh, you'll, you'll definitely want to check this out. She posts a link, like a good little simp. Um, I, I And I just immediately got a feeling. I was like, mm, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Um, but here we are. We're going to go through it together. So uh, let's have a look at the headline. Lefties sneer, but those brave souls... <sighs> Why has he... Why See, this is what I talk about. This guy goes on and on about being a great writer. Why has he put lefty sneer full stop? But, listen, one of the first things I was taught when I was actually studying writing instead of just being given a writing job by my dad was that it's, it's very not the right thing to do to start a sentence with but. That's just... He could have just put a comma. But never mind, I'm being pedantic. Um, lefties sneer, but those brave souls on the submarine died in a cause, pushing out the frontiers of human knowledge. That's typically British, and that fills me with pride. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> one one of the details that has come out about this whole situation that actually immediately makes me uncomfortable with that as a headline is that the young lad he was he was only 19 and he he was he was on the voyage and he didn't want to be there and according to his family he had gone basically just to make his dad happy because his dad wanted to go and so he went to try and make his dad happy that kid was not trying to push the frontiers of human knowledge he was just trying to make his dad happy and now, because, because the company decided to ignore safety regulations, um, scientific knowledge, the very basics of engineering, apparently, this, this young man, as well as his father, as well as several other people, have lost their lives. And so, just immediately, I feel uncomfortable about Boris Johnson trying to frame this as this great amazing British sacrifice for science or something a, a 19 year old has died in a horrific way I I can't get excited and hyped about that it's it's just sad it's just really sad and I I 
I'm just going to be real. I find it disgusting that Boris Johnson is trying to turn this whole situation into some, you know, isn't Britain great? Something, something scientific curiosity. Oh, we're so brave. We're so, we're so curious. Oh, like, what the fuck? Boris, this has got nothing to do with you. You were not on that submarine. You... <laughs> You, you you are also not somebody who has lost people in this in this horrific incident there are people out there who would have been watching the whole thing unfold with the rest of us but they had so much more at stake because it was their family down there that somewhere there is a woman who lost her son and her husband I can't imagine how she's feeling. And I hope to God she doesn't see this and see the former Prime Minister of the UK using her son and husband's death to try and get another dig in at the lefties or whatever. Because that's horrible. And I hope she doesn't see that. I hope she has people around her that will protect her from this kind of shit. Because this is vile. Um... Someone actually asked me, because uh, I, I made a similar point on Twitter and some guy that I don't know decided uh, it was Reply Guy Friday and he jumped in my mentions. He was like, oh, I'm presuming you said the same about other people making a point about it, trying to score political points. Yes. Yes, actually. But, you know... <laughs> um. Don't let that get in the way of, you know, fair criticism of Boris Johnson being gross about this. You know, I sometimes I wonder why people go to such lengths to defend a guy who literally doesn't know they exist and literally doesn't care as well. I mean, everything about the way this man acts is, is very obvious. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. But you go off and defend the man, darling. It's fine. Um, anyway, so let's get into this. Um, my God. And so it ends the way we knew it was going to end, like the story of the Titanic herself. For days, we tried to keep hope alive. We fed our imagination with the news of the banging on the hull. We were buoyed by the... I see, do you know what? I hate the man, but that's clever. We were... <laughs> we were <laughs> that was probably guys written, let's be real. We were buoyed by the thought that fabled French submariner Paul Henri... I'm so sorry. I am unable to pronounce that. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to do it wrong. I know I am, and I'm sorry. Um, we'll just call him Paul Henri. I do not want to pronounce his names wrong out of because I'd feel disrespectful and I won't do it, had extracted himself from all sorts of previous underwater crises. In reality, in our hearts, we knew the denouement that all five brave souls on the Ocean Gate Titan were dead. Okay. It now seems that the US Navy acoustic detectors had heard the noise of the implosion as long ago as Sunday and feared the worst. The mystery is over and the moralising begins. Does it? 
Okay. What is the Titanic? Okay. What is the meaning of this disaster of April 15th, 1912 that still so obsesses human beings that they are willing to risk their lives to go and see the wreck? The Titanic is one of the... Not the ice cream van. Oh, my God. It haunts me. It hounds me. The Titanic is one of the modern world's most potent metaphors. Okay. It is the standout symbol of human ambition and pride and how it can be destroyed by the elements. Okay. Yeah, I guess. It is a fable of how an allegedly unsinkable piece of gleaming and luxurious new technology made of 50,000 tons of steel could be ruptured by nothing more complicated than a chunk of frozen water. Um, yeah, I guess. I, I, think, I think some of the Titanic fandom would disagree with that assessment and say it's a bit more complex, but okay. Um... When we think of the Titanic, we are reminded of the eternal tragic verities that hubris invites nemesis, that man proposes and God disposes, that the paths of glory lead but to the grave, and that no amount of cash can help you cheat death. Okay. They went down in their white ties and spats in the freezing waters along with everyone else as a tale of divine retribution for human overconfidence. Titanic. The five submariners, including British entrepreneur Hamish Harding, have added a chapter of their own. We grieve for them all, and our hearts are especially wrung. Oh my God, this kid was so young. Jesus. He literally looks so young. It's so sad. Um, we grieve for them all, and our hearts are especially wrung by the account of the 19-year-old Suleiman... Darwood, who was a bit nervous but wanted to make sure his dad had a great father's day well perhaps you could grieve by not writing an exploitative column about them boris just saying we see the tragedy of it all and we see the ironies they went to meditate on human mortality and added to the titanic toll themselves they went to spectate at the this desolate exhibit exhibit jesus <laughs> Of the vanity of human wishes and tragically prove the point. Mm, I don't like this. I don't like this. The expedition descended 2.4 miles into the black depths of the Atlantic to brood on a great truth that all our inventiveness and mechanical genius can be overwhelmed in an instant by a malignant mother nature and they became themselves victims of that truth. Now... Hang on a minute. Hang on a fucking minute. I... I don't think that that's a fair assessment. Basically, a lot of the point he's trying to make is that, you know, it was just a tragic twist of fate and, oh, isn't it a great metaphor? However it's becoming more and more apparent as time goes on that the reason this tragedy has happened is because Oceangate, the company that owned this submarine, submersive, whatever you want to call it, 
massively cut corners, knowingly put people at risk, ignored safety guidance, ignored the actual reality of how you are supposed to build a vehicle that is going to go to the bottom of the ocean. They ignored that and put people's lives at risk. And because of that, because of that, there are several families who who are going to be going through the worst thing imaginable right now, including one family that has not only lost a husband, but they've also lost a young boy. It, it may be true that you could see this as a metaphor, although I do think it's slightly in poor taste to be loudly talking about that not even a week after this has happened. But the issue is, is that Boris Johnson, he has no interest, seemingly, in getting to the reality. He talks about misplaced confidence from Ocean Gate as a company. Um... I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll be honest with you. It's it's really really long and probably quite boring, but there's a couple of bits I want to get to in a bit. Um but he doesn't actually go into the details of why why these people lost their lives. Listen, I'm not an engineer. I know one my my older brother is, but um he he's an engineer. Um I don't know if he could build me a submarine. Maybe I'll ask him, but I don't know. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I could build something that could, you know, go into the water. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm an expert. But what I am saying is over the last few days, there have been a number of experts, including people who who were part of trying to make this vehicle actually safe, who can tell you that submarines don't just implode. There is a reason why. And that reason, in this case, and I suppose perhaps other cases, is shoddy work, cutting corners, putting people at risk. That is what has happened here. That is what has happened here. People were put at risk... People's lives were lost because the company, because the company did not want to actually listen, did not want to actually put safety first. And yes, yes, I suppose in a sense you can compare it to the the original Titanic. You can you can think about how, you know, humanity is sometimes overconfident when it comes to nature and, you know, we think we know better and that's nice. But if you're not going to actually talk about what the real issue is, if you're not actually going to address the um, the elephant under the sea and say a company cut corners and killed people, then what is the point what is the point? Um, what, what's the point? And to try and, and frame this 
as these people died, you know, in the name of science and their deaths weren't in vain because they were curious explorers is so obnoxiously fucked up. I would imagine that nobody boarded that vehicle thinking they were going to die. And none of them should have died. But unfortunately, they have. But Boris Johnson won't talk about why. He he ends the, the column and he says... Hamish Harding and his fellows were trying to take a new step for humanity to popularise undersea travel. I See, I, I wouldn't say that that's the case, really. Um, I think that they were just doing some tourism, which is perfectly valid. Now, wrong with that. But, you know, I don't think any of the people apart from the CEO who was on the vehicle. Um, I don't think any of them intended to be, you know, pioneers for travelling under the sea. They just, you know, were there to have a good time and see a thing that they were interested in. So I think putting that responsibility onto them and their legacies, I also feel is unfair. Um, but let's continue. <laughs> they knew the dangers. The fuck they did, Boris. The fuck they did. I I am certain that they did not think if I get on this vehicle and I go down under the sea, I might die because the guy who built it couldn't be asked to make it safe. I doubt very fucking highly, very fucking heavily that that was what they thought. They knew the risks. They knew the dangers. What a fucking disrespectful thing to say. What a fucking disrespectful thing to... They knew the dangers. Did they fuck? Did they fuck? If you're paying £250,000, if you are paying a quarter of a million pounds, I'm pretty sure that you expect to come back out of the ocean and onto the land. I'm pretty sure that if you are paying a quarter of a million pounds per person, you expect to live. They knew the dangers, did they fuck? Yes, they probably knew it would be a bit cramped. Toilet facilities would be a bit questionable. They probably knew it wouldn't be the most comfy and luxurious experience. But they will have been assured, yes, you know, it'll be all right. If you'll pay it, like, no, nobody pays £250,000 thinking that they might implode under the sea. Nobody does that. Nobody fucking does that. There was a guy on that vehicle that took his son. Nobody brings their kid along for something where they think that's going to happen. They knew the dangers. No, they fucking didn't. Shut up. Anyway, in the immortal words of Captain Scott just before he died from the Antarctic cold, 
we took risks, we knew we took them, things have come out against us and therefore we have no cause for complaint. Except in this situation, yes, they do because the vehicle was unsafe. But they were still charged a quarter of a million pounds to get on it. The vehicle should not have been under the ocean. That should not have happened. And yet it was allowed to happen. So yes, actually, they do have cause for complaint. They have lost their lives. Of course they have cause for complaint. They just wanted to go down and see a boat. They didn't want to die. They obviously didn't want to die. So, of course, they have cause for complaint. It's so wildly disrespectful that he would make this comparison. And it's interesting because he spends a lot of this column complaining about um, about other people um, who, who have, you know, criticised the, the company and, and things like that. And other people that have made comments that people find uncomfortable and yet here he is being just as disrespectful saying that these people who have lost their lives knew the risks no they didn't they were lied to they were lied to it's come out in reports that a whistleblower who made it very clear that that vehicle was unsafe as fuck was fired was silenced the the ceo it's come out just straight up didn't listen to actual safety regulations, didn't listen to how science works and how you are supposed to build a vehicle that can survive underwater to that extent. He just did not listen. But he would have told those people, oh, no, no, it's perfectly fine. Don't worry, get on it. So he could take their money. How can you say such a disrespectful thing, such as they knew the risks? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. And to say that, to say that just days after their deaths, their their friends, their family are trying to come to terms with this. And here comes Boris Johnson to be like, oh, well, they knew the risks. They have no cause to complain. Fuck off. Absolutely fuck off. Fuck the fuck off. What is wrong with you? Honestly. And he finishes by saying Harding and his friends died in a cause pushing out the frontiers of human knowledge and experience. That is typically British, and that fills me with pride. Will you fill me with fucking embarrassment? I... They didn't die in a cause. They died because of corporate negligence, if we're being honest, including... A young man who had barely lived his life and didn't even really want to be there. How the fuck does that fill you with pride? What is wrong with you? I... Honestly? Boris Johnson has done many things that have disgusted me. So I guess, you know... Maybe it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it into like the top five, but I'd say that this column probably makes it into the top 10 because this is disgusting. This is so gross. But I'm not surprised because what we know about Boris Johnson is that he holds no value for anybody but himself. We know that. 
he was openly saying during COVID, let the bodies poll high. He didn't care. He just cared about how he looked, how his polling looked, how people perceived him. He just wanted to be, you know, the king, being adored and loved. He didn't actually care about people's safety. He didn't care about keeping people protected, making sure that everyone was all right. That wasn't important to him. What was important to him was how he was perceived. Was he loved? Was he adored? Did people like him? Was he having his Winston Churchill moment? That was his priority during an international pandemic. So I'm not really surprised that he finds a way to make the tragic death of several people about himself and also to massively disrespect them by pretending that they knew the risks and, you know, their deaths are not in vain. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. How can you look at the death of of a 19-year-old. I'm sorry, I, I can't... I, I, I do believe every lost life is tragic, but that, that young kid in particular has been playing on my mind so much because he, he was just a baby. You know, he barely lived. How, how can you say that he knew the risks? How can you say that it was all for a cause. He's just a kid. <laughs> how could he have known? How could how could he have known? And how can you try and spin his tragic death into somehow being worthwhile? It's horrific. And I if this is what Boris's new grift is going to be, taking these horrific moments of humanity and life and trying, trying to, to make them about himself and his sense of pride and, and all of this shit, then I don't fucking want it. I mean, I didn't want it in the first place, obviously. Um, but... Girl... The shit is just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, it turns out that <laughs> the readers of the mail are not too into it either. Um, somebody just said, utter nonsense. Especially given the warnings about using an untested craft that have now been revealed. Yep. Uh, someone else said, sorry, Boris, but I don't agree with you. Fair enough. Fair enough. What is he saying? Words fail me. Me too, buddy. Me too. What on earth is he banging on about? Utter rubbish. <laughs> Based. As usual, totally out of touch with normal sentiment. Yeah. Boris is way out of order with this. Yeah, agreed. A fucking greed. Um, I just, it's just gross, man. Um, but do I expect anything different from Boris Johnson? I do not. I do not. I am not shocked. I am not surprised. 
Um, but I am disgusted. Obviously. Obviously. Maybe maybe we can go through Boris's columns every week. <laughs> and just like see how shit they all are. But I, I don't know. I'm a bit worried of that because I don't want to give the mail any clicks. So I guess I'll try and find a sneaky archive link. Shh. Cheeky bub. Is, is it piracy? I don't know, because it's not behind a paywall. I just don't want to give them ad revenue from, from all the sidebar ads. So I don't think it is piracy. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know. It'll be a surprise. Okay, so hi besties. You probably can't hear me because I'm at Pride and it's very loud, but I'm talking right into the microphone in the hopes that you can. Um, so it's a really great atmosphere. This is my second year marching in the parade as part of the London SMP group. So far, we haven't really been booed. I can't tell if that's because people are really into Scottish nationalism now or because my boobs look great in my new dress. I'll report back later and let you know. So as you heard, I was at London Pride. I, I did not, I did not get booed very much. Um, I, I do think people were a lot more chill this year. Um, I, I did not see um, Labour or the Conservatives. I didn't see their contribution to the proceedings because there were quite a few hold-ups on the day as you may have seen uh just stop oil decided to um disrupt the event it was it was a weird situation because they initially came forward and they were like well we're gonna disrupt it if you don't do everything we say on this list and then they were like, well, we've decided not to and we're going to just take part in the parade. So I think the assumption was, OK, Pride in London have said, fine, you can have a spot in the parade if you don't ruin it for everybody else. But then they ended up disrupting it anyway. So <laughs> the whole thing was running several hours behind. Uh, we were actually supposed to get started about half two and we didn't actually get moving until about, I think it's like four o'clock. So, um, that was a thing. I mean, it, it, in terms of the Just Oil thing, actually, I, I want to have a brief chat about that. I know it's a very controversial thing. Some people were very much in support of them and some people were not. Um, my perspective <laughs> is that I personally find it pretty audacious for Just Up Oil to come forward and demand solidarity from uh, the LGBT community with like a 24 hour time frame to meet their demands as well. Um, where exactly were Just Stop Oil earlier this year when Brianna Jai was murdered? Where were they? I did not hear a fucking peep from them. I did not hear any solidarity from them. I have not heard anything from them in regards to 
conversion therapy bans. And you might say, well, th this is not really their area. Well, the licensing of <laughs> new gas and oil stuff is not ours. So, but we're expected to apparently jump in and act on that. So, you know, I, I think, I don't know, some kind of solidarity tweet or maybe a a supportive presence at many of the, the vigils that were held for Brianna Jai, for example, or any of the protests um, against conversion therapy might have been nice, but I guess they were really busy those days. Um, where were they during uh, the initial stages of monkeypox where our community was having to fight so hard just to get the UK government to actually do anything? Um, I mean, our community is, is having to still put up that fight because the government is pretending that monkeypox went away and it's not a problem. Probably because uh, the main people affected are gay and bisexual men, so they're just pretending it's not happening anymore. Um, in, in the same way that the UK government is, is pretending that, you know, there's absolutely no risks with COVID anymore, uh, probably because the main people that are currently feeling the effects of that are the disabled community so the government just pretends it's not happening and just a oil does as well i guess um, <laughs> but where were they um you know when the lgbt community was basically fighting the government alone um and our organizations were fighting the government alone to try and get some kind of help with that where would just stop oil? I just think it's pretty fucking audacious to turn around and demand our solidarity when you've had fuck all to say when we've had these other problems. I ju I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just fucking saying. Um, you know, and we can have a conversation about, you know, corporate sponsorship of Pride. In fact, um... This may have escaped Just Stop Oil's notice, but actually the community has that conversation every single year. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like we're not having the conversation. We are. Um, they just, I guess, did not care to listen when it wasn't their voices doing the talking. Um, and, you know, there have been alternate events that have sprung up because of that, Um there have been more, you know, more traditional pride events that have sprung up um, and are also attended by the community. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's not like we're all just sitting around doing nothing, uh, <laughs> you know, but I just... I just find it interesting that they they have not gone after other communities to disrupt their events in the same way. Um, where exactly were they at Glastonbury, for example, which has a huge environmental toll, um, ends with rubbish strewn all over the place. I mean, if you've seen the pictures of, of what the venues looked like after that festival, it was horrible. Where exactly would just stop oil for that? You know, I, I'm just saying it felt pretty fucked up to come at our community, make demands with a completely unreasonable time scale as well. There's no way that there could be a fucking turnaround in like 24 hours. Like there's no way that 
anybody could organize something in such a short time frame. Like they, they knew that they were being unreasonable. They were just doing it to try and pretend that they were being reasonable and they had justification for showing up and fucking everybody over. Um, what I would also say is, sure, you can, you can be pissed off about corporate sponsors and, you know, police presence. I know that's a, a big thing that some people are upset by and I understand. But this event, right, it is more than just a fun party and an excuse for getting drunk and throwing glitter everywhere um, and, and getting, you know, free sweets from banks or whatever. Um, for quite a lot of people, especially those who can't or feel like it's not safe for them to be open every other day of the year, it is the one chance they get. I know that for me, before I like properly came out, I, I would almost religiously go to London Pride every year. I didn't go with anybody and I was always kind of like in the background. Um, but it was something that I look forward to every year because it was like the one chance I had to be around people like me, to see people like me. Did I talk to anybody? No. Did I interact with anybody? No. Um, but it just, it was like an escape from the oppressiveness of holding in this horrible, like, pain that I had from this secret. It was like the one day where I could actually just, you know, as, as the kids say, be my true authentic self for like a few hours and I could see people like me and I could feel okay within myself. And I'm just going to say, I don't think it's fair to take that from people. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, but I don't. Um, I, I just, I don't. <laughs> especially because they probably would have had a sympathetic um, audience because I know that a lot of people within our community are very um, concerned about the climate crisis too. You know, this this is what makes me think, frankly, that Just Stop Oil is like a plant, to be honest. <laughs> like, God, what is this? Why Why are you showing up to ruin an event for people who probably would be quite into hearing your message you could have just you could have just like applied to be part of of the parade and it probably would have been granted they could have been speaking to people directly on the route they could have been because because you know you get quite a bit of time with you know with the crowd with the people you know you could have been talking to people about how they can engage with democracy to try and, you know, get in touch with their MPs, get in touch with um, figures who actually have the power to do these things, how they can join your campaigns in the future. You, you could have been out here recruiting, but you didn't. Um, and I think that would have been a better use of their time than just showing up and disrupting the day of a bunch of people who don't actually have the power to do what you want. We didn't even have, we don't even have the power to 
to get the government to actually properly ban conversion therapy. They, it's the the legislation that they they're going to be bringing forward is is full of fucking loopholes, and shit that basically keeps it legal in a lot of senses. So the ban is basically not a ban. So we we don't even have the power to do that. We didn't have the power to to get the the health service to properly cater to people when it came to stuff like monkeypox, for example. Um, you know, and and as a result of that, there were people in our community that got ill when they didn't need to. Um, there were <laughs> like there there were people that that were not able to get vaccines at first because they had no idea how. What kind of institutional power do you think we have? You know, we we couldn't get the government to act on that and help and support our people what kind of power do you think that we have seriously genuinely um so i i just i think it was a dumb decision personally and obviously like many of their actions it has not actually led to the suspension of new oil and gas licenses so <laughs> So what have they actually accomplished other than making themselves feel like they did something? Like genuinely, genuine question. Um, of course, I still think they have the right to do it if they want to. Everybody should have the right to protest. I'm just saying. It was dumb. <laughs> like it, it was it was dumb and it accomplished nothing. Um but that's not the only thing I want to talk about. It's not the only thing. Um, as I said, there was there was less um, booing and jeering, uh, which was nice uh, for political groups. Obviously, I can't tell you what the experience was like for others. I, I know that there was the Labour Party, the Conservatives um, and the Liberal Democrats. Um, there are some people saying that some of the Conservatives because their group was smaller than it has been in previous years, some of the um, LGBT conservatives didn't feel comfortable because they were a bit worried about how they would be reacted to. I mean, that's a whole other thing. And, and <laughs> she's about to be controversial again. Um, I do think it's unfair the way that people treat the LGBT conservatives at Pride events. Um, you can absolutely have your problems with the Conservative Party, but what's important to note and and I feel like this comes from the fact that people are not aware of um of what it is that LGBT groupings within political parties do. Um most of the time what you're gonna see is them obviously fighting for their own community within their party. The LGBT conservatives Sure, they're Tories, but they're Tories who, who were actually holding their own government to account when it came to LGBT issues. And they have been pushing for more for our community. So I don't really think it's fair to label them in the same way that you would, you know, Suella Braverman or something, like, or, or Kemi Badenoch. Like, they're, they're not the same. You know, yes, 
Yes, they are in the Conservative Party, but they are fighting for a fairer Conservative Party. Do they always succeed? No, but I feel like that should be taken into consideration. And we also cannot have this welcoming, positive landscape if we're saying that certain people should be harassed out of these events. Um because of of what they believe you know politically um even if they are very much pushing back against any anti-lgbt stuff from their political party i i just i don't think that it's fair um i mean i'm just she's gonna be full controversial here i just i just think it's funny how a lot of people at Pride events will have zero problem with literal heterosexual people coming to events, like straight couples bringing their kids and shit because they like the rainbows and the lights and all of that and the music and it's fun. And I'm talking like actual, like full on straight people. I'm not talking about, you know, a couple where like, you know, one of them is bi and so currently they're in a relationship with, you know, the opposite sex, but they could also, you know, be with someone of the same sex. I'm I'm not talking about people like that. I'm talking about like legitimately like straight people, like allies basically. You know, or 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 even just people who like all the the glitter and the fun and the dancing. They're welcome. But actual LGBT people are not welcome based on who, you know, which political party they hold a membership for. I just I just find that interesting. And to be honest, <laughs> there is no political party at all ever um, that has a completely clean conscience when it comes to LGBT issues. So I think some people need to look within themselves and within their own parties before they start throwing insults and booing people. Because girl, are you really squeaky clean? Are you? Because I don't know that you are. I don't <laughs> I don't know that you are. I do not know that you are. Um you know, and and it is it is better to to celebrate who we are as individuals and the contributions that each of us make as individuals rather than just attacking each other personally. But you know, that's my that's my little annual piece on whether it's okay to boo LGBT Tories. <laughs> and now to talk about another group of people that have been made to feel unwelcome at, at LGBT events, at Pride events. I want to talk about accessibility at Pride events. It is, now we're in July, it is Disability Pride Month. Um, so this is a month where we where we are hearing from disabled people, we're listening to them and we should be working to be greater allies to them as a community. So London Pride fell on the 1st of July, the first day of Disability Pride Month. The trouble is 
And this is not something that is new information to the organisation that puts together Pride in London, um, to the mayor's office, to anybody really. London Pride is not super accessible. And in fact, most Pride events aren't super accessible. Um, and it, it does kind of seem like in all of the the, the celebration and the fun, people forget that disabled LGBT people exist and will need accessibility support available for them. Um, there was a, a lady that we saw who was in a wheelchair and she was trying to get somewhere, but there was there was no ramps. Um, one of my friends helped her to, to get her wheelchair up onto the pavement. Um, but there was, there was no thought as to how, there was no thought put into that by the organisation. There should have been access to ramps so that people could get around the, the events and people could get around and see things and do things without having to happen upon somebody who would stop and help them um there were um quite a few people actually that i saw in wheelchairs who were struggling when it came to access to things and luckily you know in those moments you know we or other people around us were able to offer help but again it should not be the case that that has to happen they should be in the minds of the organisers already and there should be things in place so that they can move about events in a wheelchair it's it's not it shouldn't be hard for for people who organize events to understand that this is necessary you know, it's not just something to have, maybe it's nice, maybe we'll do this. It is, you should have this or your event should not be taking place. The end, period. Um, as well, for people with mobility issues, there was a huge lack of available seating, um, which meant that for people who had mobility issues, um, but were not necessarily wheelchair users um it, it made it very difficult for them to to navigate around all the events and to get to different places because you know if they are struggling with walking long distances if you're someone that has difficulty with long distance walking because of mobility issues there was basically nowhere that you could you know take a break and and get yourself back and ready to to keep moving um there was also a, a huge lack of accessible uh toilets which is going to be a huge issue obviously um and i i find this disappointing because again talking about everybody's welcome you know that was that was one of the major themes of the event this year was never march alone everybody's welcome you know everybody's here for each other hello hello let let's talk about how how disabled people 
felt alone during this. Let's talk about that. Um, and it is really disappointing that because because I know that this is something that has been brought up and discussed for years. Um, you know, for for a very long time, and it's you know it's always something where a conversation is had, but then nothing comes of it. Nothing happens, you know, um, and I, I find that very disappointing. So I have decided that <laughs> if you're looking for trouble, look right in my face. I'm going to do it. I am going to write to Pride in London and I'm going to write to the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. I know, I know that Big Sadiq does a lot for the LGBT community and I appreciate that so much like genuinely this is a man who has had death threats because of his support of LGBT people and he's always there he's always on time every London Pride he's always there he's flying flags he's he's out here flying flags from his office and shit we appreciate that we love that and he's very open to supporting and celebrating our community, and that's very nice. But I'm gonna need a little bit more from you, Big Sadiq, because disabled people should be able to enjoy Pride events without thinking, it's not gonna be for me, because it's not gonna be the things that I need there. You know, if I need an accessible bathroom, am I gonna have to walk like 40 minutes to be able to find one? If I need um, somewhere to sit down because I'm I'm having problems with mobility, am I going to have to walk like, you know, 20, 30 minutes in huge amounts of pain to be able to do that? If I want to see the parade, is there going to be anything that's going to allow me to do that from my wheelchair? Um, these are not thoughts that the disabled members of our community and disabled people in general is not the thoughts they should have to have because they should be able to know and they should be able to be confident in the fact that they are considered when these events are planned and currently that is not the case so we're gonna need more we're gonna need for these changes to take place I am going to be writing to people. I'm going to be relentless. Listen, just just ask my local MP. I can be very relentless when it comes to <laughs> to writing and emailing and calling. Um, and listen, I'm going to encourage you to do so as well. Because we, we are a little community. You, me, everybody who listens to this show. We're a little community and... I think it would be great if we came together and tried to try to do something, you know, because because we could sit here and we could say, oh, well, that's terrible. That's terrible that that happened. How awful. Or we could we could get together and we could do something and we could we could make our voices heard. Um, I actually I've spoken to quite a few of you um who've been um because when I when I was talking about rental rights and things like that and housing a couple of weeks back and uh, you know a couple of you guys and we had a conversation and you you've been 
writing to your MP2, you've been taking action. I think that's really cool. And I think this is something that that we could do um, because, you know, disabled people have every right to be at these events, but currently because of a lack of accessibility in a lot of places and a lot of aspects of the event planning, they are unable to do so. Or when they do, it's a very unpleasant experience for them. And I I don't think that's right. Um, and so I'm going to do something about it. I am. Because that's that's what solidarity is all about. So if you feel like you want to join in, I very much encourage you to do so. Um, obviously, when, <laughs> when, when communicating with Sadiq Khan, um, I, I think because this is about Pride in London, which is an event that, you know, is attended by all kinds of people, I, I don't think you necessarily have to live in London to, to have a conversation with him about this, um, but you know you can you can tweet him, you can write to him, you can you can email him. Pride in London. They also have a lot of ways to contact them. You can tweet them, you can email them, you can write to them. And I think that this is the right thing to do personally, because what I want for next Pride is for truly everybody to feel welcome. I don't want anyone to think that they were an afterthought in terms of organisation. I don't want anyone to feel that they are not welcome because the accessibility that they need is not in place. I don't want that for them. I don't want another year to go by and another Pride to happen and for them to feel like they are not accepted and they are not welcomed. I am not okay with that. And I'm sure that you're not either. So let's do something about it. So in this next segment, um, I'm going to be talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault sexual abuse and things of that nature so if that is upsetting for you don't don't feel bad about it it's okay um but I'll put the timestamps below so you can skip past it I would like to say I do feel genuinely angry and upset and also very sorry I guess that I have to keep talking about this um but unfortunately it is so common in in British politics I mean I, I think it's probably quite common in worldwide politics I don't know but unfortunately I think politics attracts people who want to be there for the wrong reasons of course there are lots of people that want to be there for the right reasons and they care about their communities and they care about people and they want to help people and be a good person but there's also a lot of people that are just horrible bastards and they're looking for positions of power so they can hurt people um and that's what we're going to be talking about now. Um, so yeah, if you if you need to skip past this, it's completely okay. Look after yourself, and the timestamps are down below. So we're going to get started now. Um, so firstly, 
this is like slightly lighter than the second thing I'm going to talk about. Um, so you may remember um, Neil Parrish. He was a conservative member of parliament who, this bit's not light, but we'll get light in a second. He was found to be watching porn in the House of Commons on his phone. Fucking revolting pervert. Um, And his excuse was that he was trying to look up videos of tractors or something. (sighs) Put it in jail. Literally put it in jail. But you know what? It turns out Channel 4 have decided to do that. They must have heard me because I'm sure I said that at the time. And they heard me and they were like, you got it, lady. So he's going to jail. He's going to jail. But like, not really. So basically, Channel 4 has commissioned a show called HMP which is apparently a four-part constructed documentary series that will put some well-known names through Britain's prison system. So they're sending him to fucking jail. Hallelujah. Um, There's also um, Ricky from EastEnders, you know. Ricky, Ricky, him. He'll be there. Um... Hope he doesn't have to share a cell with the tractor pervert. That would be awkward. Um, but yeah, so he's gone to jail. Great news. Um, speaking of people that should perhaps go to jail. Um, allegedly. You know I have to say that. Um, Daniel Korski, who up until this week was one of the uh, hopefuls for London Mayor, uh, from the Conservatives. He was accused by, um, by a TV producer, Daisy Goodwin. She wrote a piece for the Times in which she discussed being assaulted by Daniel Korski. Um it was it was very powerful writing. Um and one of the things she said that I thought was really important, she said, I write not out of revenge, but to send a signal to him. Don't think that you'll get away with it. And thankfully for once, for fucking once, he actually sort of hasn't. I mean, he got off pretty fucking lightly. I'll say that. But um, he is no longer... Um, he is no longer a candidate for selection for the conservative mayoral candidacy um 
It should be noted that the Conservative Party allowed him to make the decision to step down. He was not removed by the party. He he got to step down himself, which I think is pretty fucking disgraceful. But then again, I'm not surprised. It is the Tories. Um, he gave uh, two conflicting statements. So... Hmm. So in the first, you know, he said, you know, he's very, very dressed up, very PR friendly. He's got a heavy heart. He's going to withdraw. He denies the allegations. He doesn't know what they're talking about, but he's withdrawing anyway because of pressure on his family. Um... But then he sent out a different statement to his supporters and he said this. I must also address the troubling state of our political landscape. Dirty tactics, smear campaigns and underhanded strategies have plagued this process, threatening the integrity and honesty that should define our party. We deserve better. I categorically deny the allegation, but in today's world, that doesn't seem to matter for much. Listen here, you little bitch. Here's the thing. He's out here like there's some kind of fucking conspiracy against him. Listen, until you were announced to potentially be a candidate for losing to Sadiq Khan, you were so fucking unimportant. Nobody gave a shit about you. Literally, over the last few weeks is the first that most people have heard about you. Who the fuck would be organising a smear campaign for a complete fucking nobody? Seriously. Fucking seriously. And in, in her piece, right, in her piece where she talks about what happened, Daisy Goodwin talked about the fact that she, she was aware that people knew who she was talking about, you know, they, they knew, they, they knew, and people were aware of it at the time, back when he was some nobody fucking, you know, advisor or whatever, so, (laughs) It's not like she's fabricated this out of fucking thin air. You could go back and you could ask the people that were there. You could ask the people that became aware of what had happened. And they would be able to tell you, yes, we knew this happened. Yeah. So why why would she lie? Because, you know, she's named people. And she's talked about... (laughs) She's talked about the whole thing. She's named people that were aware... I mean, it was reported on before. It was reported on before as well, uh, which is something that she talks about, you know, in the piece. And again, if it was so untrue, why didn't he do something about it at the time? If it's so untrue, fucking sue her. Except you won't. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why. But, the, the, you know, this is this is what happens a lot of the time. There's sort of two ways 
that abusers will react. Number one, they'll go for sympathy and they'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry that I was a horrible abusive bastard. I'm going to go and work on myself and... I'm just, I've been really struggling and this has been really hard for me. And then like six months later, they, they pop up doing something else and acting like nothing happened. Such as Neil Paris, actually, you know, he's being a disgusting pervert, fucking trying to intimidate women in the workplace, sitting there in front of them, watching porn, knowing that they would have been uncomfortable <laughs> and he gives the whole excuse of, oh, I'm really sorry. Also, I was looking at tractors and I hit something else by mistake. It was an accident. But I've really been struggling and this is a really hard time for me. And then, like, a couple of months later, he's doing reality TV or whatever, like nothing happened. And then you got this guy, you know, angry, aggressive denials. I didn't do nothing. And if I did, it probably wasn't that bad. And if it did, you know, if I did, I don't fucking remember it. So it didn't happen. Mm-mm. Miss me with that Davo shit. I'm not here for it. I, I just, I tire of the fact that there are so many people who will act like this and they think it's okay. And they think that... They can just brush it away. They can either look for sympathy or they can just get so so aggressive towards you that you, you go quiet. I'm sick of it. I hate it. I hate that this is so common. I mean, who just goes up to someone and just starts touching them? Like, that's a normal thing to do. What has to be wrong with you for you to do that? That's my question. But that's never a question that gets answered. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, we apparently have to feel bad for these people when they get exposed for their own actions. Because it's really hard on them and they need privacy at this difficult time and all that shit. And I'm sorry, but like, no. No. I don't think. I don't fucking think. Um... I just feel like there are a lot of people out there doing fucked up shit and getting away with it because of that manipulation, because we are expected to feel... I mean, listen, there's, there's stuff in that statement that there's quite a lot where he talks about how it's been really hard on his family. That is so deliberate. That is so deliberate. I mean, yes, I would say, you know, if he's got, you know, a wife, maybe he's got some kids, I don't, I don't know. I would imagine it probably is hard on them, but it is his fault that it's hard on them. That's something he did, not, not us. And I doubt heavily that anyone is going up to his wife and kids and harassing them. The hardship that they're going through is the distress that you caused them with your actions, so, I mean, I'm not really sure why it gets brought up, to be honest. I mean, have you tried not being awful, maybe? I, I mean, listen, in these kinds of cases, I always hope, dear God, please let that woman leave. Please let her take those babies and leave. Because she deserves better. 
Um, but any distress that's being caused, it's being caused by your actions, you know? Because there would be no distress if you hadn't have done what you did. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it's it's said to try and, and and get sympathy and to try and shut the victim down and to shut them up, you know? And then there's, you know, the other stuff that normally comes out, you know, oh, well, this has been really hard for me. And if you don't stop talking about it, I'm going to kill myself. That's always one that gets brought up. I'm, you know, I've been really low and I'm suicidal. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, are you or are you just trying to manipulate your victim into being quiet? Because... Mm, I'm just saying... Um, you know, it's, it's just really fucking frustrating. It's just really fucking frustrating that this is so common just all the time. And and what's frustrating about this case in particular is that it becomes clear as you're reading through the piece that Daisy Goodwin wrote, that people were aware within the Conservative Party of what had happened. And they have allowed for this to go on as long as it has to the point where this man has been able to stand to be part of the race to be the Tory candidate for Mayor of London. So... So people knew... And they've allowed him to get to this point in a career. They knew that he was dangerous. And they allowed for this. Why? Why did they cover for him? Why did they allow him to just keep going, keep moving through the ranks? Why is it that in pretty much every case of abuse, harassment, all that kind of stuff that we see in politics, there is a long string of people that allowed it to happen as well. I mean, yes, you put the majority of the blame on the person that behaves like that. Of course you do. But there is also a long string of people that have allowed that to happen because they looked the other way or they covered up for somebody or they were an alibi for somebody. And we need to be asking why. And is there anybody that can actually be trusted and isn't going to act like this and isn't going to do this shit? Because honestly, I don't know. And it's fucked up because we shouldn't be having to have those doubts. We, we just shouldn't. That's not normal. It's not normal for this to be the case. But this is what we've got. And that's... That's horrible... So another amazing, sure to be successful tactic by the Conservatives uh, in regards to the next election. Um, <laughs> honestly, this is like next level dumb. 
So apparently, Rishi Sunak's big plan for the next election um, is to present himself as a man of principle and to present Keir Starmer as a Corbyn apologist. What is even that? Listen, I'm sorry. Like, I understand that the Tories are still stuck in the mindset that they are going to win this election by throwing distractions at people and trying to start arguments and all this shit. I know that they can't get over the fact that that's not going to work. I'm aware of this. But... But the obsession that they have with Jeremy Corbyn is perhaps the stupidest part because <sighs> listen, Jeremy Corbyn is is not even a Labour MP at this point, so I don't really understand what what is the point, what is the connection. Um apparently Rishi's argument is that because Keir Starmer you know, was in the shadow cabinet for the Labour Party as Brexit shadow secretary for a while. And and because he stood by Jeremy Corbyn for four years and supported him to lead the country, that apparently that means that Keir Starmer is therefore not suitable to lead the country. Um... But, uh, <laughs> but Rishi is, for some reason. Um, okay, so, firstly, there, there are a number of key differences, okay? <laughs> so... It's just such a stupid plan. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn at this point is like a... He's, he's an independent backbencher. What has Jeremy Corbyn got to do with the price of anything in this cost-of-living crisis we find ourselves in? Listen, if if my Tory MP turned up on my doorstep and started screeching about an obsession he's got with Jeremy Corbyn, I'd slam the door in his fucking face because... I'm not in Islington, all right? Jeremy Corbyn has nothing to do with me, okay? I'm not in Islington, so he's not running to be my MP. So he's got fuck all to do with me. What I want to know about is the cost of living crisis, the housing crisis. I want to know about what's going to happen with the NHS. What what are their plans? I want to know what their plans are for schools. I want to know what their plans are for public transport and climate change and things that actually affect me day to day <laughs> i don't i don't want to hear the irrational and obsessional ramblings of conservative candidates who can't get over their obsession with a man who hasn't been the leader of the opposition for years get over him get over jeremy corbyn that's it. That's the tweet, as they say. I, what the fuck?
get over him. Jesus Christ. I... <laughs> I can't, I can't. But apparently Rishi's whole thing is... Corbin is forever linked to Keir Starmer. And, you know, but somehow I'm not linked to Boris Johnson. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, so how are we going to win this election? Um, shouting at care workers and trying to kick them out of the country and screaming about Jeremy Corbyn. Um Sure. Uh, Rishi Sunak also said um, that <laughs> there isn't an alternative when questioned about interest rates and the cost of living crisis. Um, and he said there isn't an alternative and that interest rates need to be raised in order to bring down inflation, despite the financial difficulties that it will cause for many people. Um he did have the audacity, the actual audacity, to say, I mean, this, honestly, this shit had me fucked up. He said people had to hold their nerve. Bitch, shut the fuck up. Shut the entire fuck up. Shut up. Hold my nerve. Bitch, I had to sell my nerve so I have money to pay the electric bill. Get fucked. This is a man who literally has more money than he will probably ever know what to do with. And he has the audacity... To tell us to just hold on a little. It's all going to be fine. Bitch, why would I believe you? Your party has been making this this nation worse for over 10 years. Why would you stop now? <laughs> why would you stop now? Like, why would I believe that you are going to make this better? Why would I believe that you are going to fix anything? You don't care. You don't care about any of us. Shut the fuck up. Hold your nerve fucking idiot honestly these people are so ridiculous it makes me actually sick um i can't i like i just can't it's disgusting okay besties that's all for this week's episode but i will catch you again next week love you bye Thanks for listening, bestie. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I will see you again next time for a new episode of What the Actual Fuck is Going On with This Whole Politics Business. Uh, the, the stuff about me paddleboarding, nonsense. The sea was actually closed, it was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be in, it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country as First Minister and as Labour values. You can have the desk and just not get the job. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Pans? I've been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing.
opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously. What the actual fuck? Love you, bye.